A reading from Acts. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. A reading from Ephesians. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills in all. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Jesus said to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. 
you are witnesses of these things and see I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. The gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Happy Ascension Day transferred. Uh, Ascension Day was actually this past Thursday. And just to sort of set the scene, we had Easter Day and we celebrate Easter for 50 days, right? The word Pentecost just means 50, 50 days after Easter. And there's a couple of things happening during those 50 days. For 40 of them, 40, that's a good biblical number, not right? Like Noah, 40 days, 40 nights rain, 40 years wandering in the desert, Jesus tempted... 40 days, right? 40 days, the resurrected Jesus shows up all over the place in the lives of the disciples and then goes away, right? But comes and goes, comes and goes. And then 40 days in, he ascends into heaven in their presence like we just heard and then they're without the physical body of Jesus for 10 days before they receive this sort of new bit that we're going to celebrate next week. Now, I want to tell you uh, two things that occur to me about what's going on here. The first is, um, it's a little bit of a weird thing historically to think about Jesus flying up to heaven because you know, um, it's one of those opportunities we have to remember to take the Bible extremely seriously but not to make the mistake of taking it literally. Because people for the longest time took it this way and believed that we lived in a three-tiered universe, right? Where heaven was up and heck was down and we found ourselves in between the two, right? And, and, and this got a little bit confusing, right, when the first cosmonaut went up and said, I don't see heaven, it was not real. Do you remember this story, right? Went up. Uh, of course... What we know, right, is that when we allow the Bible to speak to us, not only scientifically, but especially figuratively, there's, there's something actually very life-giving to think about here, right? Instead of thinking, and we've had people go into outer space from this parish, and, you know, they didn't find harps and, and winged beings up there either. They found the universe infinitely expanding, right? Um, instead, I think we can look at this and say, what is theologically happening is that in the incarnation, and even before the incarnation, we talked about this last week, this idea from mystical Judaism that God made space for the world inside of God's self, right? Just as a pregnant woman makes space for her baby. Um, the incarnation, God enters that space. So God made the space for us, enters the space fully, so that Jesus has a body just like ours, which... We wonder, you know, as age increases, how much his body was like ours, right? Like, did he have arthritis and did he have acne and spider veins and crow's feet? The answer has to be yes, has to be yes. And the Bible tells us this, right? Jesus became like us in every way so that it wasn't beneath God to become enfleshed, this is what God did, the infinite word, the creator of the universe, the one who made the space for us, entered the space and lived in it like we do. So he knew hunger and fear and anxiety and he knew loss 
and on Good Friday he knew death. And it wasn't beneath God to die. The, the incarnation tells us it was God's plan all along to enter the space with us. For 40 days he shows the disciples resurrected life, that is life beyond what they're used to. And then the ascension, what he essentially does figuratively is completes the cycle. He takes all of humanity's frailties, eating disorders, alcohol addiction, prom, graduation, whatever your frailties are and your strengths, and he brings them up to heaven to be with God forever. Right, the cycle becomes complete here that God has made the space for us, but God has also filled the space. And that by ascending to heaven, God has assured us that in those moments of despair and joy, we don't do these with God, we do these inside of God. I think that's the message of the ascension. That's the neat theological picture. But I want to suggest it's asking us to do something else as well. And, and in order to do that, um, I want to reflect on the last 40 days. Um, if you've been around small children, there's this universal game you can play with any small child in the world. And it only works, right, because our brains develop in layers. You know, we start out with the reptilian brain that's instinctual and we grow the medial cortex and the neocortex that allows us to have abstract thought, right? Everybody's brain on the planet works like that, which is why you can play peekaboo with any baby in the world and it works. And let's think about how it works. You're not going to believe me when I tell you this, maybe. But when you go like this, the baby thinks you're gone. Because the baby can't see you and doesn't realize the law of conservation of matter, I mean, you've just disappeared from the globe. And when you go like that, you've come back. <laughs> you were gone and now you're back. I, you know, you can do this 18 times in a row and they don't figure it out. <laughs> you, you know, every time the baby goes, what, well, there you are, it's amazing, right? Uh, when they figure it out is when that layer of their brain grows that allows them to figure out that stuff happens even when they can't see it. I want to tell you I'm pretty sure that's how Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, spends 40 days. Playing peekaboo with the disciples. Because they spent three years with him utterly centered on him to teach them and give them everything they needed, right? And their relationship with God even got wrapped up in Jesus. Granted, they didn't compl completely get what he was saying because, well, him dying and coming again was a surprise to them, like, like a really jarring surprise. So it's not like they got everything he said. But then think through how he plays peekaboo with them. It's Easter morning and Mary goes to the tomb and she's going there to mourn him because she was sure he's never coming back back she thinks that his body's been stolen she sees a guy who she thinks is the gardener that is the guy who mows the grass right and she grabs him and says give me Jesus back and Jesus says peekaboo Mary let me go now and he disappears so she got that instant the same day there's two friends walking to a village called Emmaus like this and woe is me and a third guy comes up and journey is with him. 
and tells them, you know, hey, this loss of Jesus you're having, this thing you're feeling, you know, it's not really like you think it is. It's totally different. And they say, no, it's not different. We can't see him. It's all gone. And they invite him into dinner, and he breaks bread, and they see him. Peekaboo, there he goes, and then he's gone, right? Peekaboo, gone. Happens. I don't want to bore you, you know, but it just sort of keeps happening. The disciples lock themselves in a room. Jesus walks in, says, guys, I'm back. Peekaboo, gone. Thomas didn't get the peek. Thomas says, no, you're all wrong. I didn't see him. He didn't come back. So the next week, Thomas gets a peek. Oh, Jesus is back, right? Then they're fishing all night and they can't catch any fish. And none other than the resurrected Jesus is standing on the shore and says, hey, throw the net on the other side. And you know, they didn't know who he was. So they said, you land lubber, you know, fine. We'll show you. You don't know how to fish. They throw their nets over, and what do you know? The boats start to sink. They're so full. Peekaboo, right? They didn't even get it because Peter, the rock, you know, the first bishop of Rome, is sitting there scratching his head, and one of the other disciples says, that's Jesus. And P- Peter says, really? <laughs> and he hops in and swims, right? It's a game that the resurrected Jesus is playing with the disciples that is developmentally appropriate because he's trying to teach them a law of conservation of matter. That is, even though they can't see his body and touch his wounded hands, he's still there. And now on Ascension Day is the day that Jesus says, we're changing the rules of the game, guys. I'm not going to play peekaboo with you forever. The goal of this game is that you learn to play by a different set of rules. And here are the rules. Take a good look. This is the last one you get of my resurrected body. It's going to go away. Now, I'm not going to leave you alone, though. Wait here, and what's going to happen is I'm going to give you a new way of breathing. I'm going to give you a new way to sort of play this game, not just for yourselves. I'm going to ask you to play this game for the sake of the world. I'm going to ask you to be God's peekaboo face for the entire world so that they learn to trust that I am with you to the end of the ages just like I've been trying to teach you to do. And I'm even going to tell you we're going to play this game. You're not just going to play this game in your closet or on your block. You're not just going to play this game in Jerusalem. You're going to play it in in Jerusalem. It's like saying you're going to play in Houston. Although Houston, of course, much, much bigger than Jerusalem, just honestly. It's maybe more like saying, you're going to play this game in Nassau Bay, which Nassau Bay is bigger than Jerusalem, just to give you an idea. Um, You're going to play this game in Nassau Bay, and then you're going to play this game in the state of Texas. And then you're going to play it in Samaria, which is code speak in the Bible for the places you don't want to play. You're going to play this game in Syria. You're going to play this game in Iraq. You're going to play this game in Haiti and in Soviet Russia during the Cold War. I guess that's happening again now. I don't know. It depends what you read. You're going to play this in the places you hate to play games. You're going to go there, and you're going to be my witnesses to the world that I have not left you alone. You're going to be my witnesses to the world that I made this space for the world and that I have filled this space. You're going to go to the places where people are suffering and where people are rejoicing, and you're going to say, God is with you. Those are the new rules. 
And I'm even going to give you a new inspiration, which we're going to get next week, right? We're not going to wait all 10 days. We're going to get a new inspiration. I'm going to give you a new way of breathing so that you can play this game effectively. Now, all that's great. And when you read the Gospel of Luke, the disciples get it. And they go to the temple blessing and praising God. When you read the book of Acts, they don't get it at all, which is why they go to the room and shut the doors and lock it like nine times. <laughs> um, and I've got to tell you, getting it's great, but um, if you've had moments on your spiritual journey like mine, I mean, we get it and we don't get it. Because, you know, and, and, and I'm going to go back. Uh, when I was a teenager, I sure had this very meaningful script of what Christianity and the Christian life was all about. And, and you know, um, I'm just going to just pick on my own journey a little bit. You know, uh, going to youth camp was really, really formative to me. Anybody ever go to summer camp as a teenager and have a formative experience in the church? I mean, youth camp sort of taught me, you know, how to pray literally told me how I was supposed to do it, you know. And, and um, I had these extreme emotional, and they were real feelings about how God was to be there with me and alongside me, you know. And um, I, I really was convinced that the rest of my spiritual life and adulthood was supposed to be like that. And I held on to that really hard. But, you know, um, it occurred to me not much long after those moments that I was holding on to something that just wasn't repeatable. <laughs> I was expecting God to keep playing a game that I wanted to play instead of trusting that God could change the rules and change them not only for my betterment, for the betterment of the world. Because the truth is there isn't one way to pray. <laughs> Uh, the truth is, there isn't one way to experience God. The truth is, frankly, that that teenage feeling of joy and happiness about being at youth camp, my Christian journey is not full of those moments. It has a few of them, right? And God has asked me to look at those moments of pain and suffering and, frankly, just even feeling normal and discover that God was in those moments, too. That's not a fun game, but it's a game God has asked me to play. And it's a game, I think, that God is asking us to play, not just in our own spiritual journey, but again, I think God is asking us to play this game with and on behalf of the rest of the world. And I think that's where Ascension Day has this sort of double bit, you know. I, I think what's happening here is the disciples have these really uh, fantastic experiences of the resurrected Jesus. And you know, they're so life-giving and illuminating. They're so, they're so undoubtable in some ways because they actually can reach over and they can touch Jesus. You know, their, their, their faith actually doesn't necessarily require a whole lot of effort on their part because the guy is right in front of him. And then today, on Ascension Day, Jesus says, you know, guys, this is not going to be the normative experience of your faith and your life. 
I'm, I'm going to change that experience. And I want you to trust that in the middle of that, I'm not leaving you in the dark. I want you to trust guys and girls that just because the light has changed in front of you doesn't mean it's gone out. So I want you to imagine the scene that we get from Acts. The disciples had been looking at this paschal candle for 40 days, which represents the light of the bodily resurrected Jesus. They've been looking at a hard thing. They've touched it and interacted with it, and this candle's been here since Easter morning lit for us to see the light of Christ. And they watch that light go up into heaven, where they think heaven and God is. They watch it go up and their jaws just drop open with doubt and unbelief. How could he leave us behind? And then two messengers show up and say, why are you looking up? Look down. Look at the light the resurrected Jesus has lit in you. Look at it long and hard. God's changing the game. The game is not just to look up to heaven. The game is to look where Christ is universal. He is in you. And then look at each other. Don't you see? The light of Christ is there too. And the only way, maybe, that the disciples would ever take that risk is if Jesus changed the light. You ready to see it change? It didn't go out, you see. It just changed. It changed so that instead of looking here, we have the opportunity on Pentecost to look there. and especially right here so that we can be witnesses of God filling all things to the end of the earth beginning in your bedroom in your house in Houston in St. Thomas continuing on to the United States and Syria, and Haiti, and Iraq, and whatever place you think is God forsaken, so that we can be witnesses that God is fully present in the most God forsaken places, and that God intends to breathe new life in them. And you know along the way, God is probably going to ask us to even change the way we look at our own light and change the way we shine it, that's okay. Because in the Lord, life is not ended. Light is not ended. It is merely changed. Ascension Day is about us saying, God, 
I will change the rules to get the world more the way you imagine it, which is more joyful and graceful and faithful. Why don't you join me as we pray our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.